Listener Production. This podcast was recorded on the ancient lands of the Gadigal peoples of the Eora Nation in Australia. I wish to acknowledge their rich and continuing culture and especially pay respect to the elders past, present and emerging and to acknowledge and pay respect to any First Nations people from anywhere in the world who may come to hear this podcast. We hope that we may all come to walk with gentle feet, strong minds and compassionate hearts in this global village. No one wants to be a lousy dad. Aiming to be a good dad is great, but do you know what? Being a good enough dad is so much more important. I'm Maggie Dent, parenting educator, author and champion of boys and men, and this is The Good Enough Dad, where I chat with committed, caring, sometimes confused and often funny dads about all the ways they've discovered to be good enough at this parenting gig. My good enough dad today is Osher Ginsberg. That is what our panel think. Are they right? Are they completely off the mark? Have you locked in a name? Are you ready, Australia? Let's do this! So much fun. You'll know my next guest from his hosting role on The Masked Singer. Or, given you're listening to this podcast, you may know him from his podcast, Better Than Yesterday and Dad Pod, with Charlie Clawson. Osher Ginsberg has lived a life starting in radio in his 20s. He moved into TV, co-hosting Australian Idol with James Matheson, travelling to the US for work before returning home to host The Bachelor and now, of course, The Masked Singer. Along the way, he's had to contend with social anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder and psychosis. And despite all his success on the screen, what turned his life around and made life worth living was meeting his wife, Audrey Griffin, and becoming a stepdad to Audrey's daughter, Georgia, and now also being a dad to four-year-old Wolfie. Osha, welcome to The Good Enough Dad. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I don't know if people listening realise, but I think at some point we are going to have to fight <laughs> because we were up for the same category in parenting podcasts for the Australian Podcast Awards and yeah. Dad Pod lost yeah. to you. yeah. And I had publicly challenged you to you a did. fight if you won. Yeah, yeah, so. And we still haven't had we that haven't had it. fight. Um, don't worry, it's, it's on com- the cards. It's coming. We're like Elon Musk and, yeah. and Zuckerberg. Are we training? Yeah. Is that what's happening? I'd like to think it. Okay, so your parents met in the UK. They did. Where they had fled as refugees. Your mum's from Lithuania and your dad from Czechoslovakia. Did- she had come here first. Came here first. Yeah, so and she, then- she came here when she was, I think, eight. She yep. left her home when she was three, walked across Europe, ended up in a refugee camp with her parents and then came here because yeah. it was about as far away as they could get, yeah. Adelaide. And um, and then I think she, she met a RAF guy who was out here blowing up nukes in the 50s and um, went home with him and then went, actually, no, and a couple of years later met Dad. And did that different kind of background, do you reckon, influence you? Well, they were both doctors. Family life. They were both doctors. So there was very much, uh, it's almost like a, I don't know if it's a science-based or an evidence-based way of looking at the world, but it was very much, uh, here's how we do things until better evidence shows up. And then we'll literally the next day go, now we do things that way and don't take it personally. That's fine. We treated it this way yesterday. We treated it this way today because it's it's new and it's going to give a better outcome to that person. So off we pop. It's kind of what we want about parenting. You do what you do until you know better and then That's you it. do better, right? That's I it. love it, right? That's it. No wonder you're nailing it. And that, well. <laughs> well, go, move on. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yet, I'm hoping that by the end of this podcast, I'll get to good enough. <laughs> so I'm, when. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of middling and adequate at the moment. <laughs> good enough. Okay, so when did the family come to Australia? The grandfather who had brought the family here from Lithuania uh, had gotten quite sick right after I got born. And back then, if someone had that kind of illness, you moved because there was no chemotherapy in the 70s. It was like just off you went. And so they came out here to be be around, to spend time with him. And I actually remember meeting him. I was six months old. I remember meeting him. That's wild, right? So, yeah, there's nine years between us four boys. Wow. And I wonder I like you (laughs) since I'm a breeder of four sons. Yeah, right. Um, So, okay, what sort of childhood, what was it like? You know, in amongst that randomness. What am I going to tell you? You've got four boys. <laughs> Come on. It's like, it's, you know. You feel sorry for your mother. That's well, all I And she say. did it by herself from when the oldest yeah. was 13. 
So she's she's an incredible woman. And, you know, they did the best they could with the tools they had, like any parent, you know, and we know a lot more now about parenting and you look back and go, well, that just literally didn't exist. We didn't know about that kind of stuff then. So... They did what they could. And so what did you get up to? Did you have bikes? Did you do like, oh, yeah. fairly oh, random? Did you break totes. stuff? How often Everything. at ED? Oh, mate. Well, unfortunately, with the sons of doctors, like yeah. we never had just like random stuff. We lived in Brisbane and the street we lived in would flood quite a bit yeah. because it was built over a creek. I don't know why. So it flooded quite a bit. And we were nine going, woo, we have a free water slide at the end of our street. That was a big grate at the end to stop us from going into the storm totally. drain, which was fine. And so we went, this literally a flume, a natural flume arrived in the in the ground. And so we would go down it. And I'm like, oh, about a week later, I, I kept saying, well, my leg hurts. She's like, I'll go to school, go to school. And then she watched me walking down the hallway and my left leg was about four times the size of my right leg. And she's like, oh. And um, off I went to the dock and I had contracted some yeah. super rare waterborne bacteria and I'm a part of a, like, I'm in a textbook. Years later, I went to go see an immunologist. So you're already famous. Yeah, I was nine. I went to, <laughs> years later, I went to go see an immunologist. Because of a bug. And he talked about it. He goes, that's in a textbook that I studied. At, you're a case that I studied at UQ because it was important that we understood the diseases that were in our city. Wow. Yeah, so we never got normal stuff. No. <laughs> now, tell me about your dad. Oh, he's a, you know, really interesting guy. He is Czech, grew up in Prague under the Russians. And then in 68, when the tanks came in on the Prague Spring, his mates went, you've got to go. And he said, yeah, I think I do. And then yeah. like, you know, he jetted it off to Vienna, got out and then uh, hitchhiked his way over to London where a mate of his was at Oxford and he kind of slept in hallways for a while. And then his old professor smuggled his qualifications out yeah. so he could get a job. He hung around for a while and met mum not long after that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So he's, look, a really interesting, both my parents were super duper smart. Mum wanted to do physics. Dad wanted to be a musician. But back then when you were super smart, you became a doctor because that was what you did. Dad's an incredibly musical man, very funny man. And, you know, like anyone who's had to leave their country and everything they've ever known, he was 24, you know, struggled, struggled with that. So if you look back, what did you learn from your dad about being a dad that you would use with Georgia and Wolfie, is there? I think like like many things, um, I think the one thing that my folks really did for all of us was if we were interested in it, they would do what they could to allow us to explore it. And that was it. And I I was so grateful for that. Really, really, really grateful for that. Because that meant that I was interested in music and they bought a guitar and let me go and do lessons. And I was, I showed great, you know, I was really into it and, um, they let me kind of do that kind of thing. And they put support of my brothers in the same way. And it was really cool, you know? And so that's the same thing with Wolf and with G as well. Like before Wolf came along, G was, you know, she would show a promise in this or show a promise in that. It's like, sure, if you're interested, let's go and check it out. Let's go see what it's about. And, you know, she's, you know, got a head on a really good head on her shoulders, Audrey, it's not extraordinary. Audrey's an amazing mum. And, um, yeah, she's got a really good head on her shoulders. And then, you know, she would say things like, I'm, I'm not bad in. Okay. No worries. Yeah. I'm glad you gave it a shot. So that's actually really good because in today's world, driven by marks and grades and things, a lot of parents are struggling with this nurturing the spark. Because mm. when you nurture the spark, you actually nurture something that can then continue. Yeah. And when we see our teens who are struggling today, so often the spark's gone out. So yeah. I love that. So well, make sure you don't drop that with oh, either of them, oh, right? No, no, no. Well, I was really fortunate in that we saw a fantastic speech at her high school, and it was basically, you know, you're, you know, your yeah. parent of teenagers. Here's yes. what, you know, and it was basically just whatever they're engaged with, yeah. as long as it's got yeah. a, an element of socialization around it. Great. Yeah. Because if as long as they're engaged. Fine. If you have to do a lot of driving, that's what you have to yeah, do. Yeah, you're talking and, to the mum had to get out of bed early every I'm, weekend to go surfing. Dude, I'm my mum had a you know in the days before the the suburban side loader of the Kia Carnival, <laughs> we had the Mitsubishi L300, oh. and she would just fang around just with oh these God, four kids. The Mitsubishi L300. Yes. It's awesome, right? Yeah, it's fit of us like a mini bus. Yeah, totally. And um, <laughs> ended up becoming my band van years later. And it's the same thing. Like we would spend. You know, just, it's okay. That time yeah. is never going to come back. And I would much rather 
that I'm driving her to go and be a part of something with her friends, which she really loved at the time it was dancing. And that's totally, absolutely worth it every time. Let's focus on the joy. Every time. I'd rather the kid uh, is enjoying Mm. that. And it was the same whether it was uh, water polo or basketball or soccer or whatever it is you wanted to do. Yes, I will drive yeah. you. Yes, we'll go. I don't care where the school is. We're going. We're doing it because it's so much better to have them engaged and something social with their friends. We we got really lucky because her cohort of mates they were the same, essentially the same team who played the basketball, who played the beach uh, water polo, who played the, and so it wasn't just sport. It was hanging out with my mates. Yeah, yeah. which was so great. It's unbelievably important and yeah. maybe not happening as as much as we'd like now. What's something maybe that your dad did that you've chosen kind of not to bring forward into your fathering? Ah, uh, well, none of these kids have known me to drink. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been 13, I've been 13 and a half years sober. So I met Audrey, I was four years clean when I met Audrey, uh, which I'm very grateful for. Yeah. I was very sick when I met her, but I wasn't drinking, which was really good. And, you know, I'm grateful for that. I mean, it's, you know, it's what people knew at the Mm. time. It's what people still do to cope. It's a widely available, socially acceptable antidote to a a very common spread of mental health issues. And and it's a self-administered dosage and it works until it doesn't. And that's the problem is that people don't realize when when the dosage has to get so high, you maybe go to see an actual doctor and get better drugs. choices you wouldn't. Yeah. And and so that's the thing, you know, like for one, that never, you know, they've never seen me do that. And all the unpredictability that comes with that, all the, what kind of day is it? What kind of night is it? And, and people may not realize this, but as a sober person, I can absolutely tell you, you are different before the end of the first drink. You are a different person. When I'm speaking with you, I can tell yeah. that you are a different person. Before the end of the second drink, you no longer have a pretty good idea of how much you want to drink that night. Yeah. And by the end of the fourth drink, when you're telling me the same story you told me three minutes ago, that's when I get a phone call and have to leave yeah. because I, I'm done. Yeah. You know, that wasn't in the ads when I was a kid. No. In the ads, I was on the beach with Alan Border and Tomo and a chick in a bikini showed up hearing the yeah. I was like, whoa, beer, I guess it is. Well, this- Do you know how many stubbies I opened and how many bikini- how many stubbies I opened, always expecting the bikini girl and Tomo and Border to show up? Never happened. Never happened. Never happened. No. <laughs> I can still remember a story about a certain cricketer and how many beers he had between... Um, it was lionized. Right? It was like, I know. He did a campaign for yes. that company. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, moving on. Now, you were in your 40s. Gosh, Out of your food. You don't. <laughs> you don't look this sort of age. When you met Audrey and her daughter well, was I 10. cheat, mate. I'm like, I, Have yeah. you got some work done No, there? I'm, I'm, okay. I'm clean sober. I haven't. I'm yeah. vegan. You yeah. know, I, ha- I never smoked cigarettes except for the six weeks when I played double bass. I used to play double bass in the country band and I, I smoked soft pack stivies for about six weeks. Okay, so you went a bit dark there. But it was, um, I had a denim shirt and a trucker hat. I mean, what was oh, I supposed to do? Yeah, you have to. you got to be the part. Okay, so Georgia was 10 at the time. Did yeah. the fact that this beautiful woman who you've fallen madly and deeply in love with yeah. have a, a daughter make you think twice? Because it's such a big responsibility. Never. You just left. Never. Beautiful. Never, ever. And this is the the great fallacy that I would really... I'd want to tell everyone about it. Look, if you're, as I was, you know, find yourself divorced in your 40s, you're going to be dating people with kids and that's it. Yeah. And number one, you always have to realize that, number one, you can never, ever, ever expect them to put you first. It's just not going to happen and you can never ask for it and you have to have the humility to know it's never going to happen because particularly if you don't have, if you have kids, you probably will understand and you wouldn't demand it. I wouldn't ask for it. I wouldn't wonder why it's not there. But if you haven't got kids, you need to understand that. That is huge. It's so true. And number two is that we've all got that really loose mate and we're like, bro. And then they, you hear that, well, they got someone such a pregnant and you see him two years later, you're like, Brendan, (laughs) you can't believe it's them because you're like, you're just transformed as a man. Right. And I never expected that that would be open and available to me yeah. as a stepfather. Yeah. And I tell the story often, but it's exactly how it happened, Maggie. Audrey and I were very careful about how I was introduced into George's yep. life, which is a very important thing. And 
one, I, I was out here for a job and I'd only been here for a couple of weeks. Like we'd been together for about nine months, I think at the time. Mm. I'd only been here for a couple of weeks. And like I did Tuesday, I went to bed and she was my girlfriend's kid. On a Wednesday, I woke up and it was like, I, I would die if it meant keeping you alive. I would push you out of the way of a bus that was out of control and get squished and crayon down the street if it meant you got to live. I'll, every dollar wow. I earn is to make sure that you get every opportunity that you ever dreamed for like that. And I'm a selfish prick. Right? Yeah, <laughs> so, and, and it was extraordinary. And from then on, it was like, oh, I'm no longer number one. Ah, oh, it happened. It happened. And it was amazing. So and it didn't need to be that. And she was 10. Yeah. You know? And she was 10. And I, you know, I don't, hadn't met her dad at that point, but I'd met him not long after yeah. that. He's a great bloke. And Audrey and he worked really, really hard to put whatever was between them aside so that the relationship that Georgia would have with him and her was, you know, clean and clear. And it was great. So I would say that to any, any yeah. man who's asking or any, you know, any woman who's worried yeah. that just don't. It's extraordinary that it happened. And it's wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So you didn't know what happened. It's just, you fell in love with her as well. Yeah, right, totally. Right? That was, and then that's when, so it doesn't matter that she's not biologically yours. Never. And I run into dads from time to time. I call them bonus dads rather than step, um, who said how much of a surprise it was. Yeah. But they still struggle with the fact that I'm still not quite as important as I'd like to be in this woman's life. But I've learnt. Yeah. I've learnt she is worth so much more than me being number one. So it's just a construct. What was interesting right after that because it started to well, we were public and people were taking photos and stuff and so it was kind of out there that there was a, a stepdaughter in my life and I think the first season I shot of The Bachelor after that and you're standing there with 24 beautiful ladies and and uh, the cameras went rolling for something a second and you hear one of them pop up going your, your fiance's got a child don't you? I, I say yeah and they're like stay with it <laughs> <laughs> These are women in their early 20s. And, uh, and then one or the others piped up and went, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Stick, stick, stay with yeah. it. It's, it. It'll come. It'll yeah. come. So hearing those women talk to me and saying that, it just brought a huge amount of, oh, they understand what I must be going through because yeah. they were right. And then a really close mate of mine, a, a delightful man who I've, I've, I've been lucky to play poker on a Wednesday night with the same group of men since 2004. Wow, they're real week. mates. It's extraordinary. Unbelievable. Very uncommon that yeah. a bloke my age has that. But there's about 12 or 13 of us so has that good. many close, has friends who've been in their life that long. And one of them said to me, I was 10 when my stepdad showed up and we had a bit of a chat about it. And he goes, Ben is his name. Um, he says to me, oh, the hardest part was for me is that I couldn't figure out that by liking him, it meant I didn't like my yes. own dad. So I had to only like my own dad. Yeah. And when he told me that, that gave me the space to kind of, I mean, I'm, I can tell you, I've made a lot of mistakes because yeah. I'm trying to be the parent essentially to an 11 year old with four months of parenting experience. And I made a lot of errors. But hearing those things from both the ladies at work and my very good friend, Ben, gave me a lot of context around, okay, if I can downregulate in time and not react as hard as I, my body's trying to make me just understand what's happening there. And, and that, that really, really helped. Yeah. So one of the things that can also help for those dads who are merging into another family is... If the dad is actually a, a good enough dad, not a asshole, the other, oh yeah, yeah. The, then we the then we come dad, in yeah. by you've already got a dad, yeah, right. So I'm oh, just yeah. the backup. I'm the extra one. I'm the no. bonus because the, you're right. Because yeah. kids really don't want to be disloyal to their no. But I can tell you now, um, as a marriage celebrant, there are times that I've done weddings and the dad is in the front row, but the girl has chosen her stepdad because he has been on the journey from when she was six, right? Loves a dad, but that's the man who she sees as her real dad in terms of what he's turned up with. And that's a really big message, isn't it? Again, do you turn up 
No. You know, help them move house, fix the car when it's broken no. down. Do you turn up in those moments? And um, it's not a problem. It's yeah. not being necessarily disloyal. You can do both. I'm extraordinarily grateful for so my good. relationship with her dad. Yeah. Who's I, yeah. he's amazing guy. He's and, such a deep thinking guy and has been on his own journey and he's extraordinary. But how man. damn mature is that, right? <laughs> Just step up and be a bit mature about it, right? That's all I want to Because all we're trying there. to, I mean, that, that was the thing that Audrey and he had both kind of agreed on. It's like, it's good. no, we just need to yeah. put the kid. It's if about you the can, kid. If you can put the kid as a priority. Yeah. Not yourself. It, and, and thankfully, the way they parted was fairly yeah. clean, you know, yeah. fairly clean. But I can only imagine, like, I've had mates who have been in that situation and I have had mates who've just gone to war with lawyers and I've had mates who've just gone, okay, all we've got to do is make sure these kids are okay. Let's sit down. Do the best uh, we can with two a, houses. With a psychologist. Let's sit down and think, mm. what's the best way to do this? And let's go from here. And then it's cleaner financially, to be honest, because the decisions are pre-made for you. Totally. Now, you had Wolfie in 2019, and yes. I chatted to you with the ABC podcast, Parental as Anything, and you shared just how absolutely blown away you were with how bright and alert Wolfie was as a baby. Oh, yeah. So how was being a dad with a baby? How did that kind of, you You were just so excited. <laughs> well, I still am. <laughs> I'm excited with both of them. Both of them just blow yeah. my mind. Like when I hear the car reversing at 5.30 when G's off to work, I'm like, man. That was not me at 19. No. I was like drinking my <laughs> cash paycheck that I was making as a roadie every week, saving enough to bus fare to get to the next Tuesday load in and bumping into things. That was what I was doing. Yeah. I'm just so astounded at her and how powerful she is. Um, to, to have Wolf as a baby was just like, okay, I don't want to sound like a... Why not? I, I, look, I'll, I'll just look. When he was in the first two weeks, I guess, there's new car smell and there's new baby smell. Yeah. All right. And my new baby will smell differently to you yep. than he will to Phenomes. me. The yep. pheromones. Yeah. Like. Got it. I don't know if your listeners will know what I'm saying. Some of them might chuckle. But when I sniffed the top of his head. <laughs> That was the hit off of every line of random drugs <laughs> I'd ever, that was what I had always craved. Wow. Like doing bumps off a key in a nightclub cubicle. Oh, that's what? the feeling that I got. Like, like, oh, that's it. That's the thing. Who thought it was stuff that came in a bag? It's this. And I could feel the neural pathways just exploding in my brain. And you told me this. You told me that there's that, that extra bit of brain growth yeah, that happens. Massive. Mate, I could feel it. I could <laughs> physically feel my thinking changing. I could feel, I would talk to my younger brother about this when he had his second and he's like, dude, it absolutely happened. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. happened. And because, yeah, you're suddenly faced with all this other stuff. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's the first couple of weeks are uh, just, yeah. you know, it was just, just this, sw this swimming sea yeah. of just the smell of, Takeaway burgers and kurtosh, which is um, <laughs> a, a funnel kind of it's called like yeah. a chimney cake. This Austrian chimney cake is essentially a, a, a circular, a, a spiral-shaped donut that is baked and then dipped in cinnamon. And it was around the corner from the hospital, mm. and so it was just baby smell, kurtosh, nah. and the same two hours replaying for the first month, and it was just freaking amazing. Love it. And we got so lucky because I've got I got mates who were like, you know, they were. Yeah. Yeah. Audrey, actually, actually, Audrey had to, we had a few things going on. You know, we ended up back in there about a week later. Yeah. Um, but um, it, was, it was incredible. And just, Changed you forever. Oh, well, yeah. How could it not? Yeah. You know, how could oh. it not? I was at the same time extraordinarily sad because the permission for men in our society to be involved with that part of their wife's life, mm, mm. let alone their son or daughter's mm. life, but their wife's life or their partner's life, that was off the table. Men weren't allowed in the room. They weren't allowed anywhere near it. The baby was shown to them and then off they went to work. Yeah. And so, of course, they were dickheads because they didn't connect at all with what their wife went through. They didn't connect at all. They didn't sniff their son's heads or their daughter's heads. They didn't have that thing the in their miracle brain. of birth and but 
there was a time when we were there. Yeah. We were in it. We, the men were there. They were a part of it. They were in it. And then we got separated from it. Mm. And so, of course, you get these ridiculous policies from, you know, old style mm. power white mm. guys because they just simply weren't connected to that no. point in these women's lives. Just women's business. It, <laughs> I heard there's stitches. <laughs> Throw a couple in for me. Come on. You know, it's Do you just, think that's actually when things started to change for dads being able to turn up in the parent spaces when they let them in? Dude, right? if you've if you've watched this yeah. person who you adore yeah. go through this, I'm about to I'm in pre-production for a documentary on chronic and persistent pain. So I went through all kinds of yeah. shit with my hip replacement and yeah. I've had three operations, long story. But if I'm making a documentary about pain, I cannot make a documentary about pain without speaking to the one nearly inevitable, most painful moment that will ever occur in your life to half of the population. Yes, I'm with you. And so we're talking about that and we're trying to find ways to show that on screen as a man. So we're trying to figure that out. If you haven't watched this person that you adore go through the fucking agony of that and just the bodily destruction that can happen. Anywhere up to 36 hours, not just a few. If you haven't seen this person who you adore go through that because you weren't in the room, Mm. where's your empathy going to be when there's piles of shit everywhere and the houses and you're like, previously, like, here's your role, here's my role. I go punch the clock and make stuff. You stay home and do this. And you come home and go, how come shit's not done? You're like, mate. Where's my dinner? You didn't see it. You weren't there. You didn't look in her eyes as she grabbed for you and went, You know, as the life was yeah. being sucked out of her eyes. How can you possibly have that empathy? Yeah. So it can only be a good thing that, yeah. and it's vital that men get in that room yeah. and be a part of the prenatal so journey. Have to be. Have so to be. good. So you've been pretty open with your journey around mental illness. Yeah. So how has that impacted being a dad? And oh, yeah. if it's if it's like a bit tricky, oh, well, how absolutely. are you and Audrey navigating that? Well, because- it was well, it was it was tricky when I because I was quite unwell when I met Audrey, and I was still kind of unwell in my early days of being around Georgia. You know, that was difficult to navigate, and there were moments that happened when I was kind of short and, and a bit weird. And I was getting very rigid in my thinking and stuff like that, that unfortunately wrote a bit of a script that, you know, set, yes. set, set an expectation essentially. Yes. And I can't undo it. And yeah. I can only try and live yeah. the rest of my days not being that guy. I was doing really, really well before, because we were trying to conceive and I was, I was doing really well and I've been off meds for a long time and I've been nailing it. And as we got closer and closer to Wolf getting born, uh, we had a, a bit of a holiday, the three of us. We went to Hamilton Island because it was about like coming up on the six weeks when Audrey wouldn't be able to fly anymore. Yeah. We're like, well, let's just go and be away yeah. for a couple of days together and then before everything starts. And so we were away and it was quite clear that I was not doing well and I started to slip down the slope again pretty quickly. And we were standing there, I guess everything's golf carts on Hamilton Island. It's really weird. And we're on this golf cart and I'm – one of the early warning signs for me, and I think it's not uncommon, is uh, rigidity of thinking. I was unable to change plans. That's an early warning sign for me. So my thinking was getting super rigid. I was like scowl on my face. I was getting like more and more short and sharp, unable to change my mind. And she just took one look at me and she said, I need you to go back to your psychiatrist. I need you to get it back on meds. I need you around. Yeah. I need you around for these kids. Yeah. And I know enough to know that when I'm in it, I don't know I'm in it. Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's like I'm everyone's, fine. everyone's being extraordinarily unreasonable. I am, I'm the one that's got it together. What is wrong else? with all of you? Yeah. You know, wow. but I know enough to know, Beautiful. ah, if you're telling me this, it's yeah. a problem. I emailed my psychiatrist there and then on my phone going, I need to come in. Can you at least send me a script? And yeah. I'll come and see you on Tuesday. Yeah. And sure enough, the next day I was back on the back on the meds. Yeah. And so you're stable enough by the time Wolf arrived. Absolutely. And I don't think that's uncommon. I think men no, no. have to understand that like as you're getting closer, it's this kind of countdown that it's just going to happen. And don't, yeah. don't worry, you'll figure it out. But be ready for something to show up, but also don't be an idiot. Go and get help because you need to be there. And you need to be at yeah. the top of your game. You can't go in to the Australian Open with a sore elbow because by the time you get to the final, you'll barely be able to move your arm. You've got to go. This is the greatest game you'll ever play. You need to go in a top, top form. 
And I think there's always that thing about guys. You're often really difficult to get to seek medical help because it's going to be okay, I'm fine. So you're actually really, it's a really important message that that's a sign of me being gutsy, courageous and brave, not weak. No, it's taking action. Right? Take an action to yeah. sort something out that I'm, I'm responsible for. Yeah. But how beautiful is it that you can trust Audrey when she had gives to. you that feedback? Well, I, I knew enough. I mean, I'd, thankfully, I'd, a bunch of stuff had happened in my life, but one, yeah. one of the things that had come, extraordinary gifts that I've been given was that just because I think it doesn't mean it's real. Yeah. Just because I feel it doesn't mean that that's what's happening. I might feel shamed and that everyone is yeah. horribly ashamed at me, but actually yeah. no one cares I just feel this thing. But what we do is we feel this emotion and then we look for reasons to justify it. It's kind of weird how our brains work. It is. If you just reality check and go, is this going on? No. Okay. Then you can just be with this feeling in your body. It goes, okay, well, my tummy's fluttering and my hands are a bit shaky, but I can control my breath a bit and look around and notice my socks in my shoes and kind of get around and try to do something for somebody else, you know, give a phone call, give someone a call who might be doing, having a harder day than me and within 10 minutes, no one cares. So, Osha, what was the most challenging time, do you think, as as a parent up to now? <laughs> up to now. The most challenging time as a parent up to now, I think it's definitely just navigating the moments where it's just all chaos, when no one's had enough sleep and everybody's wanting things to be a way that it isn't and trying to maintain just a sense of calm, yet, you know, I want things this way, they want things this way, that person wants things this way, they, and it just, you know, and then the shouting starts. So and it's like the, proverbial shit hits the fan. Dude. That's it. That's really, that's really hard. And yeah. it's, it's hard for everybody. It's impossible to imagine that it yeah. doesn't happen everywhere because yeah. it happens in everybody's it life. Does. And it's those moments where you're kind of really vulnerable that things get said that you will regret. We can rupture, but you we know, can repair. Y- well, yeah. And I'm the adult. I've got to behave like an adult. Sometimes part of me Most doesn't want to be adult. Sometimes Most part of me is like, you know. <laughs> it is hard, man. It's real hard. Like I under, I kind of get it. You know, I get why people parented the way they did up until around 25 years ago because that's what felt right. <laughs> But it's not. And yet you go, oh, that's an urge. Oh, yeah, I know that is the wrong thing to do right now. (laughs) I get it. I understand. Um, Never going to do it. But I think that's the the, Mm. the real hard part. Oh, God, And look, and I don't think I'd be alone in saying this. It's it's the great how many many hours are there in the day? How many hours are there in the week? I've got to make sure that everyone has food and the lights are on and I chose a seasonal industry to work in. So sometimes I don't know if I'm working next year. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay my mortgage. So I don't know if I'm going to have to move house. That's hard. That's really hard. And yet that requires an amount of hours to work that are not necessarily on the thing I'm getting paid for. It's the thing that I want to get paid for next. My favorite movie quote used to be you're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> My favourite movie quote now, and it has been for about 10 years, Hyman Roth to Michael Corley only in Godfather Part 2. This is the business we have chosen. Yeah. Right? I chose this job. I chose this seasonal gig. I chose this gig of uncertainty. I chose this gig mm. that's undergoing extraordinary technological disruption. I chose this. So a part of that is I have to, I've always created my next job. Part of that is like I have to create the next job. And so there's hours spent working on creating the next job. So it's all on spec and you're not getting mm, paid for mm. it. And it's all maybe it will, maybe it won't. And while I'm doing that, stuff's happening here yeah. that Audrey needs support with. Yeah. And I can't do both at once. Yeah, and then my mates. I don't know. <laughs> Look, <laughs> i got to fit that in. That's honestly on the list of priorities, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, that has slipped. Yeah. Unfortunately, thankfully, we have, I don't know how people did it before group chats. I wouldn't be writing letters to 12 people at once. In actual fact, guys (laughs) were lonelier. So lonely. Yeah. So that's that's a real challenge, mate. That's a real, real, real challenge is to find that time and that- Consistent. Dude, and I don't have a consistent schedule. Mm. I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. 
I have to look at my calendar because every day is so vastly different. Yeah. And so that's it. That's really, really it. And I think that's always going to be the case. What did someone tell me yesterday? Last night, Audrey and I went to go see a movie, but one of the women we were speaking to before the screening, she goes, it's the, it's the juggle and the guilt. Yeah. It's the juggle and the guilt. Yeah, that's. And that's, that's, that's real. And it's every day, some days it works, some days it doesn't did exactly the same thing. We juggle and then we go, shut up, let him It's down real hard. Yeah. I'm letting order down. I'm letting the kids yeah. down and I'm letting my career down. Yeah. Like, I can't not. And yet still are a good enough dad. <laughs> I didn't come here to have you yeah. drop no. a great tagline on me, yeah, but I'll I let you. You got it. <laughs> you got it. Maggie's given it to you. <laughs> We all mark up as, as parents because it's only human. So we want you to share a significant parenting failure to reassure all the dads out there that you haven't got it all sorted. Which one? I was down the park with Wolf. He was three, just turned three. And we've got a cargo bike, which is the greatest mm-hmm. thing ever. It carries 200 kilos. Um, we go to daycare on it. It makes every so trip good. an adventure. Everything under 5Ks, which is so good. So we're down the beach and we're at the park. and. There was a mate there who said, oh, can we, um, can, can, jump on the back? Come and have a ride. He's like, yeah, sure. And so we went off. Wolf wanted to come with us and just started running after us. Audrey was chatting to his wife Uh, and thought we had him. Yeah. We went around, we did a lap, we came back and went, that was great. Where's Wolf? Oh, and then it's a Saturday at the beach. Oh my god! All right, at the park behind That's the beach, nuts. and it was it was probably probably five minutes, yeah. maybe, but I just hooned around. I was on a bike. I hooned around, and he was talking to a lifeguard in an orange and a red and yellow. I was talking to a volunteer lifeguard, and I just grabbed him and I said, "Mate, you did the right thing. You did the right thing." But there was a person who had asked him, "Are you looking for someone you lost?" and he said, yeah, and this person helped him find a lifeguard. Wow. And I just grabbed him and I just told him, mate, um, yeah. I'm so sorry I didn't see you. And you've done the right thing. You found a lifeguard. Well done, well done, well done. What's wild is that only recently he's brought it up. He starts bringing it up again. Yep. And and that's hardcore because he's kind of a bit older now, yeah. so he's, yeah. he's able to process a bit more and it's hardcore. And every time it just but, stabs me in the heart every time. And I'm just like, mate. I'll never stop looking for you. I'll never stop looking for you. I'll always check before I leave you. And I need you to always tell me where you're going if you're running somewhere. I've got some really good news that what happens as they get to be teenagers, they just bring it up and take the piss out of you about it in front of people. So it's going to end up a really funny party. But even though right now you can still feel that fail. What he did this for, he's four. He did this morning, he goes, Mom, she goes, yeah, she goes, remember when we were in, or just Fiji. Yeah, so like, yeah. remember when we were in Fiji, because we're there visiting family. Remember when we were in Fiji? She goes, yeah. He says, yeah. She goes, remember when you went out in the sun and you didn't put your sun cream on and you got really badly sunburned? And she said, yes, Wolfie. He says, with the, with the crooked finger, you've always got to put your sun cream on. And if you haven't got your sun cream on, you've got to stay in the shade. She's like, yes, Wolfie, I do. So welcome to parental <laughs> modelling. Yes. Right, and it's one of those things. I'm going to say the biggest significant thing is not your lectures, oh. as well. It's your behaviour and what you say and do. So every now and then we've just got to say, "Hang on a minute, what, what yeah. am I, what am I giving them so they can take that with them?" The, the way I, I put it is when when people first talk about having kids, they go, "Oh, so sleep. Oh my God, this, that, and the other. You don't go out." I'm like, honestly, Maggie, that is not the worst thing about kids in your life. The worst thing about having kids in your life is they don't do what you tell them. They do what you show them. Yeah, and then you catch them doing something yeah. that you're like, that's the thing I disliked that my dad used yeah. to do. How do you know how to do that? Because <gasps> I do it. Oh, isn't karma but, a bitch. But then you have this moment. Then you have <laughs> this moment, Maggie, where you can go, well, I can choose to stop that. I can choose to have that no longer carry forward into the community. I can now be better. And because you're trying to help them not do that, you then develop as a human. And that's incredible. You've got to be a bit careful. You might be taking my crown here. You're sounding like really quite I'm, wise. Mate, I'm like nine books and <laughs> I don't know how many seminars or courses behind, <laughs> you know. All right. So, Okay. If there's one big fear that you have yeah. in raising your two precious kids, yeah. 
What's the big fear that you have for them? Oh, that they would disconnect from Audrey and I. I think that's it. Because we're all one summer, one song and one friend away from that happening. And we all know someone that's happened to. And then, I mean, I bear in mind, like, I've spent 13 and a half years in sobriety meetings. I've heard a lot. I know what can happen. I might catastrophize a bit because I mm. hear the stories of how bad it has gotten. It doesn't always get that bad, mm. but I absolutely understand. As long as they stay connected to you and if it's just you, like Audrey, like I said, Audrey raised Georgia Boyle, as long as they stay connected to you in some way, you, I think you'll be okay. If they were to disconnect, that for me would be the the real thing. And if and that goes back to what we were speaking about before about whatever you want to engage with, because if you can keep them engaged in something that's healthy, you're good. You know, I'm sure our prisons are full of the smartest freaking people that ever existed. They just put that smartness to creating extraordinarily complicated criminal syndicates. <laughs> you know? But if they had an ability to put that thought towards something that benefited the community, it'd be far better. And I think that was, to put it in, like the one word I say, if they disconnected from Audrey and I, I think that would be the biggest problem. So I'm going to put on my parenting coach hat and just say the chances of that with the connection and attachment that you have is extremely remote. And that is the core again, which yeah. is do they absolutely know that they are loved fiercely and unconditionally and both of yours do? So I need you, it's, it's probably a fear that you could... You could probably come up with another one now because that's well, not going to happen, there I was can a, tell you. <laughs> no, but there was, a, there was another one on that. It was around when um, 12, 13, I don't care who you are. Like, yeah. it's like, what? Like, we literally yeah. w- were lying in bed reading stories to you yesterday. Yeah. And now it's like oof. a buddy of mine said, he said to me, yeah, they're going to ignore you, but your job is to be there for them to ignore. That's it. You can't let your ego go, we'll stuff you and then leave because that is a part of like, I'm pushing to see if you'll push, if you'll stay. If you push and go and go, then that's it. And if you're hanging on to the other end of the rope. As long as you can see that, that your job is to be there and go, yes, I am that. Yes, that's a new name. I haven't heard that before. Yeah. Um, hmm, Hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. (laughs) Now, here's the the chance to have a bit of a gloat. I'll show what's one of your biggest parenting wins that you think you've had as a dad. Just pluck one out of your Um, enormous gold bucket. I I think it would just be just supporting Audrey and then... Mm. by proxy, Georgia, she's one of the cohort who did HSC through Zoom, essentially, missing all these gigantic, huge moments in life that we go on to use as our self-definition and and how we see ourselves in our community, our immediate community, and how we then build that first cohort of people outside of family that we start to explore adulthood with, that we were able to get her... Yeah. You know, but she, you know, because she had a lot of skills that she, she did an amazing job, but that we were able to get her to that point. That for me is, yeah. Yeah. And, you and know, she's a, like, and she's flying, you know, so yeah. we've got a lot who are still not, uh, yeah. not quite out of that. And, and, but, and that's, you know, but that's, that's primarily Audrey, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm, I see it as my job to support her in that yeah. stuff because of my, my role is not to, it's it's not my job to be that intervening in her life. So I'm going to ask you, what is one thing that you want both Georgia and Wolfie to have learnt from you as their dad to take forward into the rest of their lives? What would the one one thing only one only one? I would say that the key to everything it's down regulation. If you can down regulate. Think of going through a school zone. If you're doing 95 and it's 306, I don't care how cool and calm and brilliant you think you are, the possibility of something horrible happening is massive. You get down to 40, it's still pretty quick to be going through a kiss Mm -hmm. and go. There's, you know, Mm -hmm. six-year-olds running all over the road. If you can crawl at 5Ks an hour, you're still getting where you want to go. You're able to see everything. You're able to make better choices, make better decisions. You're able to identify. So 
actually, I am being a bit, uh, okay, you're able to see yourself, you're able to identify the situation a bit more. Just think a bit more because we can get, when we get flooded, our thinking gets extraordinarily limited. We have very limited possibility. Like I was saying before, get, get very rigid. But if you can downregulate, and it's as simple as taking a couple of breaths, there's a thing called a physiological... Cool your jets. Yeah, there's a thing called a physiological sigh, which is, it takes five seconds. Um, and in fact, if you watch the last time I was on Q&A, you'll watch me do it eight times. I like to point that out. I do it on TV all the time. Yes. When I'm flipping a microphone on Masked Singer, I'm doing that so you don't look at my nostrils flaring. How do you stay so cool? That's it. Yeah, you're doing. Um, that's why it's a simple misdirection, ah, like magician misdirection. You're looking. They're going, "How's he doing that without looking?" I know. It's because I'm currently exhaling, really I'm stimulating out. my vagus nerve by yes. exhaling extraordinarily slowly to lower my heart rate and cool adrenaline out of my body, so that when I speak, I'm in yeah. full control of my expression. And so, similarly, I would say to them, "It's like just down regulation." If because yeah. I never learned that as a kid, I only learned that in my late twenties. If you can learn down regulation, and we already do it with Wolfie. He does it automatically. This morning I was putting on his bike helmet when he was really little. Yeah. We had a different helmet and it pinched his skin. Yeah. And so he was with us. Okay, cool, man. Just take a big breath in. And as you breathe out, I'm going to click it on. You ready? Click. Oh, no problem. And so now every time he puts the helmet on, he does his little out breath. Love it. And so they teach it to him at school too, which is awesome. I know, right? I'm probably one of those people who jumped up and down way before it was a thing, bringing mindfulness and breathing and things into classrooms. Can I, well, can I, I mean, I don't know how heavy you want to get here, but, and I don't know how to say this really. You look at any park, say you see 10 or say you see 20 toddlers, male toddlers running around and they're three. You look at the stats in 20 years from now, one of them is going to be left with no option when they think the best move I have right now is to hit my partner. Why are they doing that? Why is that the only thing they've got? Because their brains have gone like this, like it's a horrible thing to do, but as far as they're concerned, this is the only thing I can do right now. If they had had the ability to slow down, to think about the situation, and I'm talking like six months before I got to that. Pause, just pause for a second. You're like, just... Nobody wants their child to grow up and do that. No. Nobody wants their son to do that. And you're one of, you've got four boys. Yeah. And like, I can hold in my hand the extraordinary need for equity and safety of every woman on this freaking planet. And I really need us to really realize we're leaving young boys behind. We are. We are look at university enrollments, look at the healthcare industry, look at young boys are being left behind. They are suspended, they are, expelled. They're being disconnected. Difficulties. Anybody just wants to belong, Maggie. People just want to belong. And if they don't feel if we're not making them feel like they belong, I mean, I'm 49. I am terrified to stand at a bus stop with a couple of teenage mm. girls going home from school. Why? Because I'm fucking terrified, man. I'm just catching a bus. But as I, as I describe that to you, people's heads already rushed to some horrific... Mm. Like, no, I'm just a dude catching a bus. Mm-hmm. So if, if people are being pushed away, if these young men and you know, like men up to like in the mid-20s or whatever are being pushed away from, you know, you can't do that, you can't look here at the gym, you can't blah, 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 what are they going to turn to? Who's going to tell them, no, it's cool, you belong here? And that's where this extraordinarily odd space has erupted online with people who purport to, I don't want to say their names. Mm, Don't. I won't. No. But you know who I'm talking Mm, about. And you've probably had to talk Mm -hmm. to your kids about them. And I've had to talk to, you know. parents. Yeah. Like, well, that's where they'll go. It's Mm. someone saying, no, it's okay for you to feel this way. And here's a clear way of doing things. And because you're a man, you should feel this way. But that's really problematic. It is. So we need to figure this out and we've got to do it quick. We've got to find a way to show this version of masculinity, yeah. this version of what it is to be a man. Because you can be exactly what the world has purported to be strong. However, you can also be considerate and thoughtful for yourself as well as those around you. Like it's yeah. not a one or other. And I think we're, we are struggling with that. I used to think about that like in Brisbane yeah. um, when people were getting cowed punched, mm. right? Nobody wants their son to grow no. up and do that. No. There's now, now two lives are ruined. It's freaking hot. And then, then people turn around and go, oh, my God, that was my 18-year-old boy. He's now doing yeah. 25 years in jail. And the other person's like, my 18-year-old boy's dead. 
<laughs> we can we can absolutely raise them in all of those things that when they lose their whatever that they don't need to hurt themselves, hurt no. anyone else, or hurt the world around them. That no. that that is something you can learn as a boy. Yeah. That can take into men. But it does start when they're boys. Absolutely. Final question. Are you ready? If you could wind back the clock mm. to before you became a dad, and, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a G or it's Wolfie, and you could give yourself one bit of advice about the journey that's coming, what would you say <laughs> to young, younger? Younger Asha? me? Yeah. Oh, oh, probably... Oh, I think it's what I would just said to you is like, you, whatever down regulation you think you need to do, you need to do more of it. Yeah. Yeah. You keep, really, keep cool your jets, you really need to not speak straight away. Yeah. You need, you got to figure that out. I got it. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't very well at the time. I'm far, I'm doing amazingly now, thankfully. But yeah, mm. I would be like, dude, you probably, you need maybe a bit more help to be able to calm down. Yeah. Or to be able to not be so responsive or, or so instantly reactive, you know. And what about you? You can do this. You you oh, can do this. I have no question that it could. And happen. you are going to be a good enough. Oh, day, right? mate. Oh, look, without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> like it's like humans. You know, there's this. this I met this extraordinary psych once who. You know, she's she just kind of really framed this thing in such a beautiful way. She's like, no matter what it is. As bad as it is, and like right now, in the what today we're recording this, mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. there's almost horrific mm-hmm. stuff going on on the planet, mm-hmm. right? But there's the day after, there's the week after, there's the month after, there's three months, six months, five years, ten years, this afternoon, twenty years after, and we'll figure it out because we always have, and that goes for anything. It, it goes for parenting. It goes. You'll figure it out. Is there a wound that requires stitching? No. Great. Is anyone in a cast? No. Great. Everything else we can figure out. <laughs> you know, everything else we can sort out. We can figure everything else out. Asha, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for your time. Asha Ginsberg, the host of The Masked Singer. Asha also has a memoir and it's called Back After the Break. Osha had some hard-won lessons that I think we can all put into practice and some special messages for stepdads. Let's add them to the Good Enough Dad checklist. Firstly, that gem that becoming a stepdad isn't all about you and that's okay. Secondly, if you have mental health challenges, keep an eye on yourself, observe yourself and then seek help sooner rather than later. Thirdly, learn how to pause or down-regulate, as Osha says, and cool your jets, especially in those hot moments when the proverbial shit hits the fan. I'm Maggie Dent, and this is The Good Enough Dad. Follow us on the Listener app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>